You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. This is, uh, it's been two weeks since we had the nasty weather, believe it or not. We had snow this time last week. Um, as it was coming down, we were in single-digit temperatures, and today we're in the 70s. So <laughs> welcome to West Texas and the life it brings. Uh, it's always very interesting. But um, anyway, so we canceled last week just to, to be safe. The roads were looking like they were going to get pretty nasty, and then they just kind of decided to stop. So I don't know what West Texas is ever going to do, and planning things around the weather is nearly impossible. So anyways, we're we're... Uh, two weeks out from what we discussed last time, so we'll just take a more in-depth review. But this has been a series discussing um, that which should be left after an, an encounter, after somebody has an encounter with a child of God, with us, the sons and daughters, co-heirs with Christ. They're, and what I've found is that there are six takeaways, foundational, focal takeaways that should be seen when someone encounters all that they're made for, <coughs> excuse me, they're in us, in those that believe and carry the presence of God. There, should be, there are six takeaways I've found, and we've discussed two of them so far. Uh, we're in the process of discussing the third, but the first two that we discussed, the first one being God is good, foundational belief that's found at the very moment of salvation, and then the second is nothing is impossible. And these two are experiential takeaways. Without having experienced the goodness of God for yourself, you don't know that God is good. Without experiencing God do the impossible right before your eyes, you don't know that there is nothing that is impossible for God. And the interesting thing in that is that those that have not encountered these situations, they may not have testimony of an impossible circumstance becoming possible for God and and impossible results being made possible. They may not have testimony to that because they don't walk with the Lord, and this is the whole point of it, but we have testimony of it. We have experience of it. And so the hope, because nothing is impossible, is a statement of hope. The hope that we have found in this moment, in our own testimony of experiencing the impossible becoming possible in our own stories, and the hope that we have in this belief that nothing is impossible is what is left with them. Because now they're left with this hope that has been deposited because it was freely flowing into us. The river of life that flows into us that carries this hope then flowed into them. And they're left with this hope. No, they don't have testimony of the impossible being made possible necessarily. They may have it. They don't realize it. Uh, they may, we, there are several of us, I, I know that, uh, myself included, when I wasn't walking with the Lord and then I started walking with the Lord, I could look back in my story and see how He worked things for my good even when I was not walking with Him. And how He was working the impossible for me even when I was not abiding and walking in His will. I was not a child of His in that moment in, in my own choice, but He was working the impossible on my behalf. And so... All that to say, they can be left with this understanding that nothing is impossible because they're left with the hope that gives that statement life. And they're left with the deposit of the goodness of God because we didn't know God was good until we had an encounter with the goodness of God. And the goodness of God, encountering the goodness of God, is encountering God Himself. 
and we are His holy temple. The presence of God dwells in us, so to encounter the children of God is to encounter the presence of God and therefore to encounter the goodness of God. And you're left with this understanding and recognition that God is good. Even though you don't have testimony, I have testimony. And my testimony gives, is the key that opens the door for you to have testimony. That is testimony. When I speak of testimony and when I live a life remembering the testimony that I carry, what I'm allowing the Spirit to do is then go do it again in somebody else. It's living in the overflow. When I stay under the faucet and I allow this, this container that I am to continually overflow, what happens in the overflow is that something else begins to be touched by that water. Something else is affected by that overflow because I live in it. So... Um, The third that we discussed two weeks ago, and that it, it's a two-parter, and I believe it may be one of the most profound and simple truths. It is a simple truth to say. It is not a simple truth. It is, it is, everything about it is simple. But in the kingdom, the simple things are the most profound things. And this truth is so profound when you recognize the impact that it should have and can have on the believers today and that truth and what they should be left with is that Jesus won absolute victory. And that again is another statement that can only be realized by someone that lives the testimony of that truth. They cannot, a, a person that does not walk with the Lord cannot leave with that takeaway of Jesus winning absolute victory unless they encounter someone that operates in absolute victory. There's no way that they can articulate the Jesus that has won and defeated the grave in the kingdom of darkness unless they encounter someone that fully believes and operates in that truth. There's just no way. And so this is one of those things that we need, the world desperately needs to see. And this has been so profound for me in the teaching that it has opened up. Uh, a lot of teaching, they'll, they'll be teaching this Sunday. Um, there's teaching in Sunday school, a series that we've just started on receiving. Um, we've started that in Sunday school. There's another teaching for Sunday morning's main service that has all come from this reality that Jesus won absolute victory and just grasping that for, for myself to be the very first time to not just be able to say, of course he won absolute victory but to really look at what should my life look like if I believe that. If that is the truth, then how should my life reflect it? And the answer to that is profound. And in my opinion, not seen. I've never seen someone that operates in absolute victory. And so the, there's an excitement to recognize that we are meant for a life that we have yet to really understand and what happens when we begin to understand it? What does the world look like? What shape does it begin to take when the children of God made for victory operate in that victory and fullness? Um, this saying uh, that there is no doubt who the victor is, that's what absolute victory means, that there is absolutely no doubt. Um, and with Jesus winning absolute victory, what victory has he won uh, victory over what? Um, really, death and the kingdom of sin. And we can see these things listed. We talked about them on Sundays and in these Wednesday 
uh, night teachings, but he's obviously won uh, absolute victory over death, over the kingdom of sin, over fear, doubt, and division, over turmoil, over anxiety, over depression, over suicide, over addiction, all of these things. He has completely destroyed the kingdom that gave those things any power and any authority. They were all defeated by Jesus, our brother. And then we see the aftermath, really, when you think about Jesus winning absolute victory and where does that leave us? What does that make us? Uh, Where do we stand now in this reality of Jesus winning absolute victory? We look at Romans 8, 31. We're going to read this really quick. Uh, A powerful, powerful set of scriptures, a set of verses uh, around identity, profoundly talking about identity, uh, starting in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ." Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors, through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Now because of His absolute victory, those found in Christ Jesus are more than conquerors. And then we began to ask this question. This is a scripture that we've read often. I don't know that we've actually realized and taken ownership of the identity statements that are in this. We are called God's elect. We are called more than conquerors. We are that there's testimony right there that there's not anything that can come against us or stand against us. There's hope for our story. There's hope for our days. There's uh, just a title above our lives. And just a, a before you even start your day, a truth that we need to have understood and recognized and lived in, that there's not anything in this day that can stand against you because you are God's elect and you are more than a conqueror. So important for us to remember this truth constantly. Um. But what is it then to be more than a conqueror? Really establishing that, recognizing that a conqueror is someone that has gone into a fight. They have had to fight and they have come out victorious. But we are more than conquerors and Jesus defeated this kingdom so there is not anything for us to fight any longer. There are remnants of these kingdoms that He has completely destroyed and obliterated, but there is no power of them. There's evidence of their, that they were there, but there's no power. Because when he rose from the grave, the power was destroyed. They have no power. There is no power in this kingdom any longer. So what is it then to be more than a conqueror? Because there is no need for us to conquer anything further. Because everything that could be conquered has been conquered. So what is it then again to be more than a conqueror? Well, it's those who are born after the victory has been won. Those that are born the morning after. 
those that are born into a day and age where all they know is victory. They don't know the, they don't know the work, the battle, and the war that was waged before that day. They just know that there was victory, and then now, boom, they're born in that day where all they know, their past is only victory, and their future is only victory. And that is what it is to be more than a conqueror, those that are established in victory for victory. And we are meant to only know victory. Uh, they're, again, only remnants of a defeated power, but it is a completely defeated power, and we are meant, we are made to only know victory. And so today, what did Jesus win absolute victory over? This is what, two weeks ago, this is where we left. What, what did He win absolute victory over? Over And I know we've already talked about this, death, sin, fear, doubt, and division, turmoil, anxiety, depression, addiction, all these things. Yes, all of these he has won uh, and completely defeated and had absolutely, absolute victory over. But turn with me now to the Galatians 5, and we'll read more of these things that he's completely defeated um, before we really get to the heart of tonight. Galatians 5, we'll start in verse 1. We're just going to read verse 1, then we're going to jump over to verse 16. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. And then in verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, and enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you. As I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So these things listed, these have been crucified. Their kingdom that they are a part of, that they belong to, has been destroyed. But what is the most prominent? today in our world. Of this kingdom of darkness that has been destroyed, what is the most prominent? Um, as, as my time as youth pastor and just really just being a person with eyes to see and ears to hear, what I see in today, what we see most of all is anxiety. We see depression. We see great turmoil. We see a lot of fear. We see a lot of doubt. We see a lot of division. And so my question for tonight is what is at the heart of those things? What is at the very root of those things, giving all of those things life uh, and this make-believe power that doesn't exist, but we give it power? Again, it's, it's this analogy that there are chains on the ground that have been unlocked and there is no way to lock them back. There's no need for it, but they're still on there. And it's like we're picking them up and we're trying to keep them balanced on our wrists so that we can be enslaved. But if I were to just drop my hands or raise my hands, they would fall again to the floor. They are not holding me there. The chains are there. The shackles are there. But there is nothing to keep them attached to me but me trying to keep them attached to me. It's a choice. 
plain and simple, it's a choice. It's a choice to subscribe to something that is not and does not have power any longer. Now, I can say this because I know the truth. Those that don't know the truth that walk in anxiety, it's not a choice for them because it's all they know. They don't know that they're born of victory, that they're made for victory. But anyways, what is at the root of these things? And it's been an interesting day. Uh, not often. I always, as, a, as a pastor, and I, just me specifically, I always feel the Lord in the word that He's speaking. I feel the emotion that comes with it. Um, and most of the times, it's just great, great anticipation and, and excitement to share it. Uh, today has been different. It's not that there's not a desire to share it. There's great urgency to share. But this one just, he's allowed me to feel what settles over our community and so many people. And I've, I've heard it through several weeks, through so many different kinds of conversations and types of conversations. But it's always in there. And it, you wouldn't think if you weren't paying attention that that's really what's driving it, but it's exactly what's driving it. And what's driving all these things in our world today that are so prom, prominent is hopelessness. There is great hopelessness. And there's hopelessness over our community. Great. And very strong hopelessness over the people of this community that there is anything better in store for it. And we, we have settled into it well. That I don't know how many, com- I had a conversation with somebody just about how, um, you know, building nice new houses is the worst thing that could happen for sundown. I'm just, what? We, I've had conversations of people that were upset that we tore down an old beat up pump station. It was barely hanging on by a thread, but they're upset that it was torn down because attached to that were the memories that they grew up with, but that was not that place anymore. And we lived in this hopelessness because hopelessness will keep you stagnant. Hopelessness will prevent you from moving forward. You will keep things as they are very naturally in hopelessness because there is no point in doing anything new. There's no point in moving forward. There's no point in growing. There's no point in striving. There's no point in dreaming. And that's really the heart of what we see manifested in hopelessness is it kills the dreamer. It it removes any dreamer anymore. There is no dreamer in hopelessness. So we live in a world full of hopelessness. And why? Because we are, and we can read this very easily, and most of you could quote the scriptures that these truths come from. We are, identity statement, we are God's elect. We are more than conquerors. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are ambassadors to the kingdom of heaven. We are His holy temple and a dwelling place for the presence of God. We're a royal priesthood, a chosen race, a holy nation. So where in here is there room for hopelessness? Where in there can there also be associated with And you are also hopeless. 
Because where in that identity, these identity statements that are for all of us, these are not specific to just you, these are for everyone that calls Christ Lord and Savior and God Father their Father. Those that subscribe and believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again three days later, conquering the grave and destroying the kingdom of sin and darkness. Those that believe that, this is their identity. This is for every one of us. So where in there is there room for hopelessness? Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I'm a big definition guy. I don't just like assuming what a word means, but abound is a very simple word, but it means to exist in large amounts. So that the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, you may exist in large amounts in hope. So it's just talking about right there how hope is supposed to be so prevalent. We're supposed to be filled with joy and peace, and we're meant to abound in hope. Filled with joy and peace and overflow with hope. Filled with joy and peace and overflow with hope. Being filled with joy and peace, abounding in hope. It comes, as we read here, it comes when we choose to believe. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. The joy and peace, abounding in hope, is a result of the belief. And the choosing to believe. So why do we live in a hopeless world. Well, we are quick, as we said, and we discussed several times, we're quick to forget all that, he, all that He has given and all that has been given to us because we're sons and daughters to the kingdom of heaven. We've had this phrase, you can't give away what you don't have, and we've changed it recently because there is not anything in the kingdom of heaven that has been withheld from us. We cannot, in this house, and those listening right now, we cannot give away what we forget we have. It's, a, it's again this example, if I see a homeless man that needs a sandwich and I forget that I have bread and meat at home, I won't think that I can meet that need. I'll just see it as a need that will go unmet because I have no ability to meet it. Forgetting that I have everything in an abundance to meet that need that's right in front of me because I've forgotten what I have. And we do that in the kingdom of heaven. We as believers, we as sons and daughters do that so often, we live in a hopeless world because we are quick to forget what we have been given and therefore we don't give it away. And the other one that I found to be more prominent is that we choose not to believe, we choose disbelief. And let me explain that. We choose to believe that the anxiety is for me, that the depression is for me. We choose to believe in turmoil. We do not choose to believe that I have won. Jesus has won absolute victory for me and I exist in a place where I don't have to know what it is to exist in turmoil. We, don't, we, we choose to believe in hopelessness. We're quick to choose hopelessness over hope, recognizing that God will bring and do great and new things in me and through me and around me. We choose hopelessness in moments. It's this common issue that we see in our world today. We praise God when things are good and the second things are difficult. Where has God gone? The second the tide shifts, we forget all that He has done. We choose in those moments disbelief. We need to recognize that that's exactly what we're doing. We are choosing to not believe in the absolute victory that has been won. 
And we're choosing to believe that there's still a kingdom that has any say over my life that is in direct conflict with God. We choose to believe those things. And now we're, it's not like we're sitting down and making this conscious choice that I choose the kingdom of darkness. But to choose anything but God in His kingdom and the truth of what Jesus has done, what are you choosing? The kingdom of darkness. You can't, there is no gray. There's black and there's white. You choose one or you choose the other. I had a great friend, Jimmy Needham, uh, who was a Christian artist for a period of time. He had this song called Fence Riders. He's saying, you cannot walk this walk and you cannot live a life for Jesus riding the fence, having feet on both sides. It is impossible. It's, there's, you're not actually doing it. What you think you're doing, you're, you're tiptoeing on both sides, you've actually just subscribed fully to one side. And it is not the side to find Jesus. It's the other side. It's the opposition. So we choose disbelief. And why? Why do we not believe that Jesus won absolute victory? Why believe that He doesn't have a hope and a future in store for our city? I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper and not to harm you. The plans to give you a hope and a future. And why would the places we dwell the children of God, why would those places be meant for destruction while He has a hope and a future planned for us? Tell me, can you live in a wasteland very fruitfully? Can you live in a place that is desolate and destroyed and just have this one patch of really nice green grass? That is not in the nature of God. He desires to establish the kingdom of heaven here in its entirety, not in part. So not just your little plot. He wants the whole city. So if his hope, if he has plans for a hope and a future for you, then the place that he has sent you is attached to that hope and a future. Because you are there, there is hope and a future. For the city, for its entirety, for the people surrounding you, for the people in it that you dwell amongst, there is a hope and a future. Because you have a hope and a future that has been established in the heart of God and you dwell amongst them. And all things are made for Him and through Him. He doesn't desire to just save some of us. He sent Jesus for the sins of the world. Not for part of us. All things are made for Him and through Him. That includes every person that lives and breathes in this city and you have been assigned to it and you have been sent in it. And so there are plans for a hope and a future in this city, in the cities that you dwell, the places that you dwell. So why believe that he doesn't have a hope and a future in store for our city. He is the God of hope. Again, as Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope, not a God of hope, a, some God of hope, may the God, the one who authored it, created it, brought it, and breathed it into existence, may the God of hope fill you. We are the God of hope's children. We are the God of hope's, the kingdom of hope's co-heirs. We are its heirs sitting on the throne of the kingdom of hope. So where is our hope? We must choose to believe. We must choose to believe He is who He says He is. He has done what He said He's done. He will do what He said He will do. And you are who He says you are. And then what we need to do immediately after, we recognize that, we believe that, and we stand firm on that. I heard this from a friend. He's at a, a conference right now. And... Uh, 
it's a deliverance conference, believe it or not. This lady, this is all she does is go around and teach identity. And I mean, it, and it's like hyper-focused, intense. It's over four days. I mean, they're casting out demons. They're doing all of it, and people are receiving their identity. It's not taking several weeks, as some of us have gone through in Randy's office, and, and as I have people going through my office through deliverance ministry, and it takes some time. I mean, four days. These people are delivered. They're walking in identity, and they're going. But what she said, the head of this ministry in Houston is just where it is right now, they travel all over the country, which is just so exciting. But if you're waiting on a belief or you're waiting on a feeling to tell you the decision you've made and the things you say you believe in are true, you will always be waiting. So if you're waiting on a feeling attached to hope, you will never have hope because you will never have the adequate feeling attached to that hope. It's just as simple as saying, he has one absolute victory. I am who he says I am. He has done what he has done, and he will do what he said he will do, period. And if I'm waiting on a feeling to make me believe those things, I will always be waiting. And I will find myself in hopelessness and not in hope because I'm waiting on a feeling to move me to that side. So don't wait on a feeling for this. Just say yes. I, I believe that my, the God of hope will fill me with all joy and peace, and that I will overflow with hope. I believe that He is establishing His kingdom in this city, that it would look more like the kingdom than it does anything else. And I believe that He has plans for a hope and a future over the places that I dwell in, over the cities that I'm in. Not just for me, not just for my family. God is not that small. God is a God of big dreams. God created dreamers. Dreamers are those that are after God's... David was a dreamer. And he was a man after God's own heart. Jesus, in his entire ministry, you see him dreaming of the possibilities of the things to come when the people get full of the presence of God. God is a dreamer. And dreamers are rooted and found in hope. And so it's simply us just saying yes to it, believing it and standing firm on it. I had a mentor in college, Jack Robertson, who said, it is just a thousand times a day decision until it isn't. So if you have to say, I believe, I, I, I believe in this and I will stand on this a thousand times a day, say it because one day you'll wake up and you won't have to decide that anymore. It will just be your life and the reality of it. And then once we do that, we must recognize that we have been sent here to author and establish the kingdom of heaven in these places. So we are the ones that get to teach this community how to hope again. We get to show them hope. We get to rid them of hopelessness and we get to teach sundown Texas hope by being hope to the hopeless. It's that simple. We don't have to sit them down and go through all these things. It just, when they see us, do they see hope and teach them that way because they are made for that hope just as we are made for that hope. For we are all filled with the presence of God and the presence of this God is the God of hope. So we must choose to believe it and we must live in it. Period. Plain and simple. But this reality that Jesus has won absolute victory should give us so much hope that there is not a day where we falter from this truth that Jesus has won absolute victory and I am a child of that victory and who can stand against God's elect and I am God's elect. There is nothing. Not even life. It says, it says life or death. 
He defeated the kingdom of death, but even the breath in my lungs cannot stand against God's elect. There's not a living or a dead thing that can stand against me. So I will hope and I will dream because Jesus has won absolute victory. And so in a world of victory, there's only possibility. Graham Cook said this. He, he loves when members of his team bring problems and they don't bring problems. They say we've got some possibilities because there are things that they need heavenly solutions for. But that is the reality of a child of victory that sees their world as a world of victory. I live in the days of victory because I don't have problems. I have possibilities. And talking about, you know, if his car won't start one morning or, or something breaks down or something lands in his lap, it's a big deal and he needs God to help out. What most people would say is a problem. His friend calls him, says, what's going on? He tells him and he's jealous because he gets to see God at work in his life and he doesn't get to see it. Like, I want my car to break down because I want God to do something miraculous. Right? They get excited at the opportunity they have for God to be God in their stories. That's a child of victory. Seeing the world that I live in, I am a child of victory, born into victory, for victory, only for victory. And so what could take away that child's hope? What could remove it? And when you think about it, we really, we teach hopelessness. We teach it to our kids. I don't want my kids to live a day without hope. Why would we want to teach them such things? We don't have to. We don't have to. That's the thing. We're not stuck in this to where we have to teach people hopelessness. We get to teach people hope. We get to do that. We don't have to teach them anything else. And what a world. What a day. We live in the possibility of forgetting what hopelessness is. That's the reality of, of our lives that we get to live in. That when my kid asks me in four years, five years, what, what is hopelessness? Somebody was talking to me about hopelessness. Like, I kind of remember what that feels like, but not really. Because for the last several years, I've just lived with hope. That's what we're meant for. Not to be able to articulate that of a kingdom that has been destroyed, but to only be able to articulate with great testimony the kingdom of victory. So, Jesus has won absolute victories. The third takeaway that people should be left with, and what I'm finding at every one of these moments, every one of these points, it is full and prominently filled with hope. God is good. It's a hopeful statement. Because it is not just talking about the goodness that I've received, but it's the goodness that's ahead of me, that goes before me and behind me. I can't believe it goes before me if hope is not present. Nothing is impossible. I can't believe that the, the impossibility I've seen become possible behind me or the impossibility that's before me that God will make possible. I can't believe in those things if I don't first have hope. And I cannot believe that Jesus has won absolute victory if I don't have hope that he's done it behind me and he'll do it before me. The days yet to come have been won with absolute victory for me. Hope is found in every moment of these things, every Everything in this, every six, all six of these points, there is hope. And so I'm just really hearing the Lord that it is time for the children of God to operate in hope again and to forget hopelessness. It's time for us to not be able to give any testimony of hopelessness. So that's 
the word for this evening, and um, I'm excited for what, for what that will bring. I, I hear these words where he's just he's telling us these things, and sometimes it's difficult to hear, but I'm also recognizing the reality that he wants us to be rid of, hope, of hopelessness. So what does that mean? Is filling our days ahead of us. Oh my goodness. How exciting. If he doesn't want us to be able to articulate hopelessness, there must be amazing things before us. Amazing things before us. But if hopelessness is found in us, we'll miss it. So there's just amazing things. And I'm a big believer. He gave me a vision when I was uh, first moved here. Of, um, and I quickly realized that this was of the spirit, not of the, f- the physical. But it can be of the physical. And I believe that we're in the day and age where, where the kingdom of heaven is established. You'll see it in the, f- in the natural realm. Um, but he showed me establishing, he was establishing the kingdom of our, in, our ha- of, in our house in sundown. Um, and everything that grew there blossomed year-round. Flowers did not wilt in the winter. They blossomed. They stayed blooming. Trees were green. Grass was green. Always, because the kingdom of God was there. It's like, oh, okay. That's what He wants to do here. That's what it would look like. It's like, that. everything should be brown. Leaves should be falling off of trees. Things it should be dark and gloomy, but it's, it's not. That doesn't make any sense. And the Lord's wanting to do that in Sundown, Texas. Days of hope that look like the kingdom and nothing else. So it's exciting. I get really excited when he brings these words, but there, there's also just a, a great deal of weight to them, recognizing the hopelessness that I've allowed into my own story and the hopelessness that we tolerate in the body of Christ. It's like, no, no more. We're not going to do that. Because it's, it's, it's time for the dreamers. You know, Randy told me, he, he began to counsel me uh, before knowing about being head pastor or anything like that, because I was, I'm a dreamer. But he could see how hopelessness affected that. And how it would then make me operate dreaming in the soul. And dreams in the soul are not very positive. They're not very exciting. They're very minimal. They're really not dreams. They're just like future steps. But a dream is something beyond what can happen right now, but it is something that can be achieved. Um, it's, it's something beyond my capability to do on my own. Big dreams. And it's, it's, it's what the Lord wants for for us to, to see and the kindness project is, is meant to be a, a project full of people, an organization, organization full of people that are just dreaming over their city. And then through that dreaming, seeing what they can do right now to make those dreams closer. That's all it is. Dreaming over your city, hoping over your city, believing in great things over the place that you've been assigned. Because that's the other thing that we need to realize. Sundown is our assignment. It's not the city we live. If you're here, for whatever period of time you're here, this is your assignment. This place and its people. Because I don't believe we exist on accident. For such a time as this, we exist now. And so this place is our assignment. And it's a hopeful one, not a hopeless one. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.